Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today for... What will unfortunately be our final scouting the enemy episode of the offseason is my coach, Charlie. And Charlie, remind me, who do we have to thank for bringing this podcast to all of our awesome listeners out there? Obviously, that would be Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall, that is the correct answer. And if you guys don't know by now, Alumni Hall is the GOAT of UGA Sports Outfitters. Charlie, do you even understand that reference? UGA Sports Outfitters? Goat. Oh, goat. Goat. What is the goat? Greatest of all time. Let's go. Did you just figure that out like last week? No. Really? I've known that. I feel like some of those like... Acronyms I don't pay attention to. More modern lingo kind of elude you at times. Absolutely. I just figured that might be a word like if I said that you'd be like, huh? What is that? That's why you reference Urban Dictionary when you don't understand something. You you actually use Urban Dictionary? I mean, I can look up stuff on my phone if I need to. Okay, I'm just I just want to make sure that you understood what I was talking about here. I'm sorry, that's kind of insulting, but just want to make sure. Sometimes you'd be honest. Sometimes those more young hip kind of terms, like let's be real, they they kind of elude you, right? You can you can admit that. Probably, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't really just interact with younger people anymore because you're not so young yourself are you. i mean i'm definitely not but i i work with young people so it kind of keeps me hip and that's not necessarily oh, oh you're qualifying okay, okay. yourself i should say i'm not i am certainly not hip not young definitely none of the above but like i understand what young people are saying how about that can we go with that yeah and okay. so i reference urban dictionary when fair necessary. enough whatever whatever it takes use right? your resources use your resources i'll give you that but yeah, Alumni Hall, guys, they, they, they have everything you guys need. They have the best selection, the best deals. They have items you won't find anywhere else. I was in there this weekend. My wife, she's been giving me a really hard time lately, not even just lately, for a while now. And uh, or let's at least say she's been giving me some not-so-subtle hints that the throw blanket that I use downstairs, I call it a blanket. She calls it a throw blanket. I don't know what the difference is there. But the blanket that I use downstairs when I'm kind of just chilling out on the sofa She's not so subtly hinted that it needs to go. It's ugly, it smells, it's old, all that stuff. So I just happened to be in Alumni Hall looking around this weekend like I am apt to do anytime I'm in that area. I basically just can't go anywhere near Alumni Hall without just at least stopping in for a minute or two just to look at what they've got. And 
what did I see? I happened to just randomly see a Georgia throw blanket, or as I would say, a Georgia blanket. And so, yeah, I was there, good prices, like you always have there alumni hall. So I went ahead, picked that up, brought it home. I'm not sure she's exactly thrilled with it, but it's better than the old one, so minor brownie points there. But that's what happens, guys. They have so much great stuff at Alumni Hall from so many different brands. They've got stuff you don't even know you need. So check them out today for all of your Georgia gear and accessory needs. And just another quick reminder that if you enjoy the podcast and want to help us out, let us know that you enjoy the show by giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So many of you have answered the call over the past couple of weeks. It's been humbling to see. Uh, it's gotten to the point that we are like, I think last time I looked like five reviews away from our goal of 300 five-star ratings and reviews, which is crazy. I didn't think we'd get there, but it looks like we are knocking on the door. We blew past the 275 review mark, which was the original goal, and now we are there. We're right there on the precipice, on the doorstep of 300. So thank you again to everyone who has been gracious enough to help us out. And if you get a chance, take 30 seconds or so if you haven't already, and maybe you can be the one that helps put us over the top. We would greatly appreciate that. And also, make sure you are following us on our new Instagram page, at Podcast. We hit 200 followers last week, which meant that we did our very first Instagram live session last night. And for a first one, I thought it went really well. I wasn't a thousand percent sure what I was doing. You could probably tell that if you were if you were there participating. But I had a ton of fun answering questions, interacting with everyone who, who was there. And for every new 100 followers we get on Instagram, we will do another Instagram live session. We're already well on our way to get into 300 now. So Follow us there. You don't want to miss those. It's really a lot of fun. It's informal, direct, and we kind of just have a good time with that. I'll also be doing a lot of those during the season. That's the plan right now, live on location from games, depending on the Wi-Fi strength, hopefully in the stadiums during halftime. So you really don't want to miss any of that. So follow us now on Instagram so you can get all of our content outside of the podcast. But all right, Charlie, I don't know if you've noticed... But the season is almost here. And you're running out of time. I am running out of time. We've got two weeks and change until the season gets here, which is amazing. This is what we live for. But as you just said, with the season rapidly approaching, the reality is uh, we've we've run out of time. We've run out of time to do all the things that we wanted to do leading up to the season here on the podcast. And uh, unfortunately, the clock has just simply run out on our Scouting Enemy series. I love this series. It's a lot of work. But I put a lot of time into this throughout the entire offseason. And I know you guys enjoy. I know this is one of the most popular things that we do each and every year, especially during the offseason. But the clock has run out. And uh, I I hate that we are not going to be able to get to every team on their own episode. The plan was to do that. It was. And we had it scheduled out where we were going to get to every team, give them their own dedicated episode. But things happen. Uh, various news items hit that we felt we need to cover. Like, oh, I don't know, the SEC expanding. So all those things happened. It had some commitments we wanted to cover, and we had to just push things back. And now we've gotten to the point where, despite our efforts, we're not going to be able to get in an episode for each and every team on the schedule. But we do want to at least touch on the remaining teams that we haven't gotten to yet. So we're going to give you something. We're going to give you many previews of Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, and yes, even Georgia Tech. We And I, I do want to just say this at the outset here. We don't have time to go into the type of depth that we normally would on each of these. 
but I still want to give you guys a primer and, and at least a basic idea of what the dogs have ahead of them this season. So I know it won't be quite as much of a deep dive, really not close to as much of a deep dive into each of these teams. Probably going to have about 10, 15 minutes to talk, to talk about each of these four teams. But I figured it was better than nothing because the options were either like we just stop the series and don't even talk about these teams, we just ignore them, or we kind of just throw them all together in one episode and, and talk about them as much as we possibly can. So we opted for the latter. I think it's kind of the best case scenario here because we've got uh, some things coming up the next couple weeks. We've got to do our bowl predictions episode. We're going to get you guys to send us in all of your bowl predictions. We will react to those and we will throw some of our own out there as well. We're going to do a best bets episode. And of course, the week of the first game, we're going to have our Clemson preview episode and then we'll have our picks episode, our week one picks episode. So a lot of stuff we've just got to get to. And uh, this is kind of the best that we can do with those remaining teams on the schedule. But all right, Charlie. Enough of that, I'm going to go ahead and hand the keys to this thing over to you and let you drive us the rest of the way. Do I get a stopwatch? Do you want one? I'm just kidding. No pressure. This you is a gotta, lot in one episode. You get a nice little new watch on your arm there, it looks like. I did. I don't really know how to watch, work it yet. Is this your first smartwatch? Yes. You definitely... I, I still have I, my $15 Timex. Yeah, this is... like I've given you grief about this for a long time. I still don't really know how to work. Like you still have like the same kind of watch you would have like back in high school or something. Yeah, I like it. Like a 1991 like Timex watch. Yeah, because if you break it or hit it on something, it's easy to replace. Yeah, I mean I get it. It's fifteen dollars, so it's no stress. I I get that, but like it doesn't can't go wrong with Timex. But it doesn't do anything. It tells you the time. I mean, it does that, but like you like to run and you're into like health and things. It doesn't give you any of those metrics at all. It's on my phone. But you have, but but you've you've bitten the bullet. I have a running watch. Well, well, now I've never seen you wear it. Right. So it's just for when you run. Yeah. So it's ugly. No. Oh. It just. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, nice watch. Uh, But no, I mean, if if you want to stop watch, you can. I don't. I don't know if no. I will not time you. I. I I don't understand why it's a problem that I not, that I go just, in depth. That's what we do here on the show. This is a lot in one episode, so let's yeah, go ahead. I'm and get gonna, I will try to be as brief right. as I can. We're gonna start with the Kentucky Wildcats. So this is a program that has really hit its stride under Coach Mark Stoops, who's gone 23 and 14 over the last three seasons after going 21 and 29 in the four seasons prior to that. They're in the midst of their best program run since the early 1950s under Bear Bryant. And they even made a run at the SEC East title in 2018, which happened, well, never. That's really never happened. Yeah. I, I, there was no SEC East back in the Bryant days. They were good there for a couple of years. But since then, like, yeah, this is the high point. Agreed. And they've done it with a formula that has been centered on strong defense and a physical running game. Old school bully ball that would have ne- made Bear Bryant proud for sure but while they've been winning in a way Kentucky hasn't since the 1950s they still haven't broken through they've been good but they've been pesky but they haven't been a true contender so what has to change for Kentucky to take the next step as a program well I I mean I think it's pretty clear you said it there Charlie they've been really good on defense that's been their formula be good on defense run the football power physical running game control the clock don't make mistakes don't turn the ball over and try to find a way to win football games in a dogfight. That's kind of been Kentucky's formula. They've been pretty explosive in the run game, but they just haven't been able to do anything offensively. They haven't finished higher than ninth offensively in the SEC in total offense since 2010. Haven't finished higher than ninth. 
Um, on the flip side, they have been top five defensively in the SEC four straight seasons. They're putting guys in the league like Josh Allen, but they just got to find a way to be more explosive it really just generally more balanced and more dynamic on offense. I mean, since 2010, the highest finish they've had in the league in scoring offense is eighth since 2010. Again, like I said, they run the ball well. This is what they do. They were 25th in explosive run rate over the last two seasons combined. So they can hit some explosive plays on the ground. Now, Lynn Bowden was a big part of that when he transitioned from wide receiver to kind of like wildcat, permanent, permanent wildcat quarterback, I guess is essentially what he was. But they've been pretty good around the football, and when they hit explosive plays, it's been on the ground. But when you play that style, where offensively you're just not putting up points, you're not putting up a lot of yards, what it does is it limits your margin for error dramatically. We have seen this, guys. This is what all of you guys, when you send in questions, this is what you're talking about. When is Georgia ever going to open up the offense? When are we going to become more dynamic? When are we going to score points? When are we going to be like LSU and Alabama offensively? I think we're well on our way to doing that now. Remains to be seen. I think... Signs are pointing in that direction, but we've seen it for years and years and years. Even going back to the Mark Rick days, guys, we know first firsthand that when you run a program based on strong defense and a strong ground game, you can win a lot of games doing that, but it just limits your margin for error. Things have to go well. And Kentucky's basically been our style that people have complained about for a while. That's been like our traditional style of offense on steroids. That's kind of what they've been the past couple of years. They they simply like to win, they have to play elite defense every game and just not turn the ball over to have a chance to win. And they've been doing that more often than not. As you said, Charlie, they've gone 23 and 14 over the last three seasons. They have kind of turned the corner, relatively speaking, when you're talking about the Kentucky football program. But that's just a really hard thing to ask a team to do, to do that week in and week out where you're just playing great defense, you're stifling offenses, you're not turning the ball over. If that's your recipe to win and that's what you have to do to win, it's just really tough to consistently do that, especially against the better teams on your schedule. When you're playing teams that are more talented than you, like Georgia and Florida, and occasionally they'll play Alabama and, and those kind of teams. So you just can't consistently count on that. So I think that's the problem for them. And for this program to take the next step, they've got to become more explosive, more dynamic, and more balanced on offense. They still need to re- remain as good as they have been on defense. And I think they will under Mark Stoops. But they just got to take the next step offensively. If they take the next step offensively, then they will take the next step as a program. Okay, so how likely is it that this will be the year that things change for the Wildcats on offense? That's a tough question. I think they have a better chance of this being a more balanced offense than they have been in years past because I think they're going to have a quarterback that – at least compose more of a threat with his arm and do things more vertically than what we saw from Terry Wilson in the past couple of years and Lynn Bowden when Wilson went out with that injury in 2019 early in that season. I mean, if you, it, but it's all about the passing game. For them to take the next step on offense, Charlie, it's all about the passing game. So follow my logic here. So for them to take the next step as a program, it's all about them taking the next step offensively. For them to take the next step offensively, it's all about them taking the next step in the passing game, right? We're just following the, the threads here. If you look at this passing game, guys, when I mean, you've watched Kentucky play, they've been dead last in the SEC in passing three straight seasons. And Charlie, you just got done telling us that this is the best 
three-year run of Kentucky football since the late 40s, early 50s, when Bear freaking Bryant was their head coach. And they've been able to put that run together going three straight seasons, each of those three seasons, being dead last in the SEC in passing yardage? It's, that almost defies logic. It's really hard to believe that, that they're in the midst of this really, I mean, I don't want to say it's an elite run, but for them, historically for Kentucky, this is one of the best three-year runs in their program's history, and they've done that essentially not being able to c- complete a forward pass. It's really, really crazy to believe. That tells you how good they've been defensively and how good of a coach Mark Stoops is and how good their ground game has been. And I know Eddie Grand got fired. He's gone. But for a while, I thought Eddie Grand did a really good job of fitting his offense to the talent they had on hand. The fact was they didn't have a quarterback on hand. Now, eventually they caught up with him. They couldn't throw the ball. And they finally had to part ways with Eddie Grand. They just couldn't figure it out. But especially in 2019, I thought Eddie Grand did a fantastic job when Terry Wilson was supposed to be their starter coming in this season. He was the first game. He goes out, for, he gets injured, goes out for the year. I think in game, I think it was game one. And then Lynn Bowden comes in as a converted wide receiver, their best wide receiver, the best playmaker. They just put him at quarterback and they manufacture their way to eight wins with him playing quarterback. That was a crazy good job, but they just haven't been able to find any sort of consistency, really any success at all through the air. I mean, their run game, they've averaged a top three finish over the last three seasons in the SEC. They've been really good on the ground. They've had some really good running backs. Benny Snell, uh, obviously right now you've got Chris Rodriguez, who, I mean, people don't talk about this guy enough. Chris Rodriguez is one of the best returning running backs in all of college football, not just the SEC. He's a really good player. But really, Terry Wilson was a problem for them. It was a problem for them in 2018. It was, it was a minor miracle that they even got close to contending for the SEC East title in 2018 with Terry Wilson as their quarterback. They couldn't throw the football. But East Snell was great. Terry Wilson could throw the football. Imagine how good that team would have been if they had a quarterback that was just halfway decent throwing the football. I mean, seriously, I'm dead serious. If Stetson Bennett was their quarterback in 2018, they would have been even better. I mean, seriously, Terry Wilson was that bad. And last year, I mean, God, just awful terrible. I know it was COVID and how much stock you put into it, whatever, but he was flat out terrible. I mean, his his numbers last year, his passing numbers were strikingly similar, just like marginally, ever so marginally better than what Lynn Bowden's numbers were back in 2019 throwing the football. And Lynn Bowden, again, was a converted wide receiver. That's how bad Terry Wilson was. Now he ran the ball well, which allowed their running game to be more explosive, but as a passer, it just wasn't there. So what does it look like this year at quarterback? Well, Coming into the into fall camp, it was a really a, a two-horse race. You had Will Levis coming in from Penn State as a transfer who got a couple starts last year at Penn State when Sean Clifford was struggling. Levis was a, a little bit better at times, but just he really couldn't seize the job there. Uh, and then Joey Gatewood was a transfer from Auburn who actually started the game against us last year and, again, didn't even really attempt to throw the football last year. We all saw that. It was a, just a terrible game to watch on both sides. Offensively, we were just trying to get out of there with a win. But actually, Levis over the weekend just got named as the starting quarterback, at least to open the season. He has won that job over Joey Gatewood. We'll see if he can hold on to the job, but he's won the job. And honestly, that's kind of what I anticipated coming into the year. I, I thought that would be the case as we just haven't seen Joey Gatewood enough. We haven't seen enough evidence that he can throw the football and kind of change that for this team because that's what they have to do. They have to find somebody that can at least throw the football and try to threaten teams vertically. And Levis can maybe do that. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, he was a decent passer last year. Had two starts, completed 60% of his passes, only one touchdown. He's a bigger guy, 6'3", 220. He's also a good runner. So I think Levis is kind of like, he's the best of both worlds. Joey Gatewood's a good runner, big physical runner, good athlete. 
But Levis is very similar in that regard. I don't want to say he's as good of a runner as Gatewood or as good of an athlete, but it's certainly not that far off. I think he's at the very least a little bit better passer, uh, more polished as a passer. So he's going to be the guy. I think he'll be the best passing quarterback they've had in the past three or four years, which it's not saying much, but again, this is what they need to improve. They need somebody can at least try to threaten somebody down the field. Now, receiver has also been a problem for them. It's not just been the quarterback. They had, Lynn Bowden was a good receiver, but they didn't really have anybody outside of him to really compliment him. This year, it might change a little bit. So I'm really intrigued by a guy named Wandale Robinson, who was a transfer that came in from Nebraska. He never quite broke out at Nebraska. I think he had a little over 40 yards receiving each of his first two seasons there. But he's a dynamic athlete. He's actually a former Kentucky Mr. Football, left the state, went to Nebraska. Things did not work out there. He followed Scott Frost, trying to, you know, obviously mimic Scott Frost's success at UCF, trying to fit in a high-powered offense, put up some numbers, that kind of thing. Obviously, that has not worked out yet in Nebraska. So he transfers back home. He's now a Kentucky Wildcat. He's kind of in the Lynn Bowden mold, smaller, shiftier, twitchy kind of guy. I don't think he's quite as explosive as Lynn Bowden. But he's certainly in that mold. So I think he can be a dynamic playmaker for them, both in the return game, also obviously as a receiver. So I think he'll operate more of the slot than anywhere, but he can also play outside as well. So that's a guy that will give them a playmaking option on the outside. And it's But it's not just him. This is where I think Kentucky might be a little bit better offensively as well. Is they've got Wondell Robinson coming in, but Josh Ali was their best receiver last year. He's coming back this year. So if you can match Wondell Robinson with a guy like Josh Ali, who's a, who's a little bit of a different receiver, actually a, definitely a different receiver than Robinson. He's a bigger, more traditional wide receiver on the outside. So if you match those two together, they may have something there, wide receiver, with, with that tandem that they haven't really had in the past couple of years. And the offensive coordinator is a new guy that they got rid of Eddie Graham, bringing Liam Cohen from the NFL. He's a Sean McVay guy. He's got the Sean McVay shine on him. So of course, you know, just like Coach O went and brought Joe Brady in from the Saints, Mark Stoops goes and brings Liam Cohen in and wants to install that Sean McVay offense. Really just like the first Sean McVay disciple that I've seen coming to the SEC. So we'll see what this offense is going to look like. I, I'm not 100% sure if, the, if they're going to try to come in here and, and run that kind of Rams offense where they're pushing the ball vertically on the field, some West Coast stuff. I don't know if Will Levis is that kind of guy. We're going to find out. I think going with him gives them a better chance to incorporate a lot of those ideas. So this is going to be a different looking Kentucky offense. And one thing I will say is that so they've leaned on the run game, and that's been a big part of what they've done and a big part of their success for the past couple of years. Is their run game going to be as successful and as dynamic this year when you have a new coordinator coming in? Eddie Grand, yes, there were some passing deficiencies, some serious deficiencies in the passing game. Absolutely, you cannot ignore that. But he did one heck of a job of scheming up a dynamic and explosive run game. Is Liam Cohen going to be able to do the same thing? Or is it going to be a lot of the West Coast stuff? I don't know. We'll see there. I think they have a really good running back in Chris Rodriguez, but will he be as successful in a new scheme with Liam Cohen? It remains to be seen. I think their passing game will probably take a step forward, but I'm watching closely to see if their running game will be as dynamic as it has been. All right. So then how good can they be in 2021? In 20 and 21? 20 and 20. Sorry. Yeah. 20 and how 20. I actually like that. How good will the Kentucky Wildcats be in 2021? Well, that sounded so professional. Well done. Well, that's what well we do done, here. Well done. That's what we clown. do here, folks. We, we are as professional as it gets, no doubt. Uh, all right. How good Kentucky be in 2021? Well, in just a week or so, we are going to get to our official preseason picks episode where, where we will pick the 
records for each and every team in the SEC, the East, the West. We do this every year. I know it's a Georgia podcast, but we like to talk about some some Georgia adjacent stuff as well. We always have fun with that. We go, we have our helmet schedule. We'll pick every single game on this on the schedule in the SEC. So I don't want to spoil all of that, but let me just say, I'll tease this. I'll tease this. I'm thinking very long and hard right now about picking Kentucky over Florida as the second team in the SEC East, as the number two team, a repeat of 2018. I'm I, I'm I'm getting really close, Charlie. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but I'm getting pretty close to that. I, I'm going back and forth right now in that game. Kentucky has Florida at home. They've been a thorn in Florida's side of late. They, they beat them once. I think, what was that? Three years, yeah, it was back in 2018, into that streak. So they've been a thorn in their side. They played them well, but I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I'm still kind of, I'm still going back and forth now. So there may be seen, but they're certainly right up there with Florida for me right now. I and for a couple of reasons, I think they have one of the best offensive lines in the country, if not the best offensive line in the country. Certainly one of the best. Darren Kennard is the highlight there. He uh, has finished top ten uh, among offensive tackles each of the last two seasons in his uh, overall pro football focus grade. I mentioned Chris Rodriguez as the running back. They call him Little Benny because he is very similar to Benny Snell. He's kind of that that power back, just wants to run through and over you, that kind of thing. It, by the way, guys, according to Pro Football Focus, take it for what it's worth. I know, what, you know, we, we don't exactly know how they come up with their grades, but according to Pro Football Focus, Chris Rodriguez had the second highest rated grade among running backs in all of college football last year. 92.2 overall grade on Pro Football Focus. Nobody is talking about this guy. And I actually think he could potentially be better than Benny Snell. I think he's a little bit of a better athlete than Benny Snell. Actually out of the state of Georgia. So Chris Rodriguez, remember that name. This dude is going to make plays for them this year. Now defensively, which has been the strength of this team, this is my one concern. So I go back and forth with, with them in Florida right now. I just don't know if they're going to be as good defensively coming into 2021 as they have been in, in the past couple of years. I still think they're going to be good. They're always going to be good because Mark Stoops is that kind of coach and he's a defensive guy. But they're, they, they're losing five draft picks off of a top five SEC defense. Yep, top five again. They're losing Quentin Bohanna. That's really tough. That was their dude. That was their Jordan Davis in the middle. He was hurt at times last year. Was certainly hurt their defense. But when he was in, that guy was an impact player. Jamin Davis had a really big year. Made a huge jump last year inside linebacker. He decided to go pro. So they're losing two of their top guys off that defense and a couple more. Now they do have some key pieces returning. Yusuf Corker is a good player at safety. He's good in coverage. Improved last year as a run defender. Josh Pascoe has dealt with some health issues in the past. Came back and had a really solid year last year. He can be a really good pass rusher for them off the edge. Um, now they need to replace Jamin Davis in the middle there. Jacquez Jones is a guy that's coming over from Ole Miss, which yes was the worst defense in all college football last year. But he was the leading tackler off of the worst team, worst defense in college football last year. So that's who they're going to plug in there for Davis and see if he can kind of fill that void there to a degree. But again, I don't worry as much about them defensively because that's just Mark Stoops' thing. He's a he's a defensive coordinator by trade, not Kirby Smart. And they might not be as good as they were last year or the past couple years, but I still think they're going to be good on defense. And if they can take a step forward offense, which I think they can, new coordinator, a better quarterback that has more experience trying to actually throw the ball a little bit down the field, along with a great returning offensive line, one of the best in the country, a fantastic running back, I think Kentucky can push to be the number two team in the ACC East.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, well, now we're going to move on to the Missouri Tigers. So this is a program that has had some early success in the SEC, winning the East in both 2013 and 2014. But the bottom has kind of fallen out of the program since then. They've undergone two coaching changes in the last six seasons. That's tough. That's a lot. That's tough. And the extremely nerdy but lovable Eli Drinkowitz. Lovable? Definitely I, nerdy. We called him. He he's a funny dude. I think he's entertaining. I've actually been watching I, the past couple weeks. Actually, I've been watching some coaching clinic videos from him. He's an he's a charismatic dude. Like I like him. He he is he looks nerdy, but he's not nerdy. Like it's weird. He has the nerdy look, but he's not nerdy. He's actually a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Well, anyways, he has a solid first year considering he had sorry a solid first year considering the context going five and five in year one with the pandemic, and they had a tough time establishing an identity. When they entered the SEC back in 2012, this was a program built around a strong defense, especially the pass rush, and a high-powered offense led by Josh Heupel. Drew Locke was kind of a pretty boy who thought a little too highly of himself. He was a punk. We can just say it. Okay. He was a punk. Well, you said it, not me. But he put up big numbers in their offense, but Heupel left, the defense fell apart, and it feels like they have been searching for an identity ever since. So describe what the 2021 Missouri offense is going to look like. Yeah, they've got to find an identity. Certainly, I mean, I think as as you mentioned there, like the entire team needs to find their identity. You're right. You talk about those pass rushers they had for years. Michael Sam, Coney Ely, Shane Ray, all those guys. And they just churned them out year after year after year. Sometimes multiple guys in the same year. But the defense has fallen off. Offensively, they've been trying to find themselves and last year, they started to find themselves a little bit. But this offense, like, okay, what is Eli Drinkwood's offense going to look like? All right, so this is, like, in, in preparation for this show, I've actually, over the past month or so, like I said, I've been going back and trying to find some coaching clinics, some videos that Drinkwitz has put out there. He's a charismatic dude. He's also a really, really good offensive mind. And Sorry, I have to interrupt. Okay, I was watching one video where he was doing, like, a seminar or whatever. You were watching a seminar. I did. I watched a little bit of it. And he, all he did was carry the football around the entire time. I actually watched the same one. Okay. We, it, it the, was, the one I watched, he was carrying around and then like randomly, like in the middle of a sentence, he just turned around and was like, hey, 
and just threw it to somebody. And like I was like, what? Okay. I don't. I mean, maybe you didn't get that far. But that's the one I watched. I, I like, just what thought is this guy it, doing? it was like he just loved the football, and it was like it's his blankie from when I he was mean, a baby. These guys, I mean, these guys. I mean, football is kind of a blankie for a football coach. Yeah. I mean, they live this stuff. Anyways. But yeah, so he's he's an interesting guy, and going back and watching some of these, I mean, when you watch, you see it on film, it's very interesting to kind of get in their mind and hear them talk about the things that they do, and it, all you have to do is just turn on the tape and, and watch some of their offenses. Going back to when he was at NC State, and even at Appalachian State, and then of course last year at Missouri, I mean, it's a very RPO-heavy offense. He has certainly been on the cutting edge of RPOs, and has incorporated them heavily into his offense, and that's going to continue. So uh, if you're talking about, okay, what is the Missouri offense going to look like? They're going to be RPO heavy. They love the outside zone on offense. And they RPO off of that. Like outside zone is like their number one run play. They really don't run much outside of outside zone. And they run it in a, in a, in a very interesting way. Uh, the quarterback, the reason they run the outside zone like that is their number one run play is because Drequitz likes the way it sets up the quarterback to kind of step back, read the defense, and be able to throw an RPO if necessary, if, the, if that's what the read tells them. Now, what kind of RPOs they're running? Because RPO, like that's just a catch-all. Like there's so many different kinds of RPOs you can run. There's really two concepts that they like to run. Uh, it's what they call razor and knife. And they're very simple RPOs. They really, I mean, RPOs in general are pretty simple, but theirs are just very simple. I mean, razor, you have the number two receivers, like your slot receiver usually, running a slant, and then your number one receiver on the outside running a five-yard in route. Um, pretty basic right there. And they're usually reading the nickelback could be the safe. It kind of just depends on on what the defense is doing there. And the knife route, which is one they really they ran a lot last year. They ran this against us a lot. It's where your number one receiver on the outside. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about number one, I don't. I'm not necessarily meaning like your best receiver. Number one is the guy you count him from outside in. So number one is the guy on the furthest side. They're closest to the sideline. So number one, that receiver is going to run a slant, and the number two receiver is going to run a flat. That number two receiver could be an H back, could be an inline tight end, could be a slot, could be a running back at times. So they just do different things there, but they're very RPO heavy, really off the outside zone. They like to run the football. He wants to run the football, but it's basically dictated off of how you're playing him defensively. If you're playing the run, then they'll pull it, throw the RPO over your head. If you're still, you get tired of that and you're playing coverage, then they'll run the football on you. Um, and they really also like, they motion a lot. They'll motion, they'll shift, and they do that to force defenses to communicate. That really is, and I've heard Drinkwitz talk about this, and he's exactly right. One of the hardest things for defenses to do is to communicate, especially this level with the 20-hour time limit. Communication is tough. Sometimes they can't hear, hear each other out there in the field. Sometimes they aren't on the same page. That's how you create bust in defenses and create those big play opportunities is by forcing them to communicate, shift, do things, change responsibilities. That can be difficult for defenses to handle. It's very tough. So they like to force defenses into those situations. And you cannot forget about trick plays when you're playing an Eli Drinkwitz offense. They go into every single game plan. They pulled one out against us last year. They'll pull, a, they'll pull about at least one trick play out every single game. They did a couple against Arkansas to end the season last year. So you always have to be on the lookout for those. It's a very creative trick plays too. Now, offensively, they lose Jalen Knox. We get former top 100 recruit Mookie Wilson in from Ohio State. He's probably going to be their top receiver this year. Maybe that'll give them a little bit more of a vertical threat. They really had issues at receiver last year. Hazleton coming over from Virginia Tech last year was good, but he was in that lineup at times with some injuries. Tyler Beatty is going to be their lead guy at running back. He's been around for a while. He's been kind of a complimentary piece. He's basically their version of James Cook. 
and he's going to be their guy at running back. He's really versatile out of the backfield, can, can catch the ball, obviously, and is also kind of an underrated guy between the tackles as well. He really f- fits the outside zone system well. So uh, if you look at, yeah, if you're looking about what the Missouri offense is going to look like, RPO heavy, they'll run the outside zone, some trick plays will be in there. You'll see a lot of motions, a lot of shifts, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, are you sold on Connor Basilak at quarterback? Sold is a strong word. Okay, so explain. I'm not sold. I would not say I'm sold. Like, sold on him as what? As the, as a competent SEC quarterback? An elite quarterback? Like, what, what kind of... What, what am yeah, I being sold on? Yeah, going to take help the, ne- the Tigers take the next step. To be a contender. Po- yeah. Okay. I am not sold on him yet as a quarterback that can lead Missouri to a championship. I am open to the idea that he can grow into that. I saw flashes of, of really good things from him last year, and he certainly stabilized that offense once he was inserted as a starter about halfway through that Tennessee game. And I think he has the tools. I do. He's, he's tall. He's got a good frame. He's got a good arm. Got the tools. And he's also a pretty good athlete. Not, not a dynamic runner, but a good enough athlete to kind of roll out of the pocket and do some things there. So he got the tools, but I just don't think he's quite there yet. I did not see him push the ball down the field consistently enough or really have enough success throwing the ball down the field last year to, for me to sit here and say, yeah, I'm just completely sold on this guy. Now, part of that was they weren't great at receiver. I, I understand that. But guys, he only averaged 7.3 yards per attempt last year. He's throwing a lot of RP, short RPOs, a lot of screens. 7.3 yards per attempt was less than Stetson Bennett last year, guys. And we know the issues that we had throwing the ball down the field with Stetson as our quarterback. And he was, he was averaging fewer yards per attempt than Stetson. All right, that should give you some insight there. He also isn't not look. Last year was his first time as a starter, but he was not always decisive last year. And that's what I'm watching for closely when I watch quarterbacks. Are you decisive? Are you making quick decisions? Because if you're not, you can get yourself killed, and you can put your offense behind the chains. And everyone wants to blame the offensive line. All the offensive line got the quarterback killed. No, the quarterback got himself killed because he's not making decisions out there. He's hesitating. And I saw that a little bit too much from him last from him last year. I think the game was moving a little too fast for him at times. I think it slowed down a little bit as the season went on. But I, I, that's an area he's certainly got to improve. Just just his his confidence, his maturity out there, decision making, decisiveness, those kinds of things. And he also has got to become a little bit more accurate. There were some guys that were running open down the field at times last year in certain games where he would just miss. Now he would hit him every now and then, but he just missed too many open guys at times. And again, he's a good athlete. Uh, but not really a runner. And this is one thing that I, I'm curious on the video. I think the reason he did not win the job coming into the season last year is that he's not as good of an athlete. And Drinkwitz really, he wants to have his quarterback that that can move. He wants to have a guy that's kind of a dual threat guy because he really likes to incorporate option into his offense. I know Ryan Finley's not a true dual threat guy, but he was like a mid to high four or five. He can move a little bit. And Drinkwitz to pull out some option. Go back and watch some of his NC State tape. He would absolutely incorporate some option there. And then at Appalachia State, he would do that as well. He really likes the threat of that because it adds just one more layer of conflict for a defense, puts even more stress on the defense. And I just don't think Basilek is that kind of guy. He tried, you go back and watch the tape. He tried to do it a couple of times with Basilek last year, but you could tell Basilek was not comfortable doing that. Now, maybe the full offseason, he can become more comfortable, but I just don't think he's that kind of athlete that really can thrive in a system where he's going to be running some option offense. But uh, So I would say with Bazelak last year, Charlie, to wrap it up here, I think he was remarkably pretty good last year, if that makes any sense. Like, he was very, very good, or solid to pretty good. 
right. Not special, but okay. he has that potential maybe. All right, I'm going to hit you with one more question for Missouri. How likely is it that the Tigers will step up and become a legitimate threat to the dogs in the SEC East this season? I just don't see it. I, I really don't. I know some people out there are picking Missouri as a, as a potential sleeper. I think Kentucky is more of a sleeper than Missouri. I think Kentucky is better than Missouri. I think they're just flat out better than Missouri this year. I understand Connor Bazelet's coming back. He's got a half a year as a starter, a little bit more than half a year as a starter under his belt. I get that. Year two, Eli Drinkwich, just like we're all excited about year two of Todd Munkin calling plays for our offense. It's year two of the Eli Drinkwitz system. And I really, really do think Drinkwitz is a good coach. I really believe in him. I don't want to believe in him because we have to play them. But I think he's going to do good things there, especially offensively. But I just don't see it right now. I don't know where the playmakers are on offense outside of uh, Tyler Beatty's a really good playmaker. And we'll see Mookie Wilson coming in from Ohio State. He just couldn't really crack the field there. He was a former top 100 type guy. But look, Ohio State's receivers are all, that's a, probably the best receiving group in the country coming to the year. So I understand why he might have transferred out there. He'll probably be their top guy. You just don't know what he'll look like there. Jalen Knox is gone. I don't know. Offensive line, they got some guys coming back, but they weren't particularly great last year. And again, I, like with Bays, like I think he's got tools, but I need to see it from him before I can say he's that kind of quarterback. I haven't seen that yet. And defensively, this is where my concerns really lie with Missouri. They're changing a lot here. They were not good on defense last year. I mean, they were actually abysmal towards the end of the year. They averaged, they gave up over 50 points per game each last three games of the season last year. I mean, they were bad down the stretch. They were 102nd in the country in explosive plays allowed, 98 in points per play, and they're losing their best player, Nick Bolton. Trajan Jeffco comes back on the defensive line. He's probably going to be their best player, but they have issues in the secondary. I'm just not sure, like Gillespie, sure, whatever, but I'm just not sure I see that. I mean, they're bringing in Steve Wilkes, which is an interesting name coming in from the NFL. He was a former, a couple of years ago, he was the head coach of the, at the Arizona Cardinals. So he's coming in from the NFL, but I don't know, man. I, I have questions about their defense. I don't know where their playmakers are defensively right now. They don't have those pass rushers anymore. You lose Nick Bolton. You weren't good last year. I don't know. I, I would lean towards saying they're like fourth in the SEC East. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, next up on the agenda is that train wreck of a program in Knoxville. Dumpster fire. Yeah, the Tennessee Volunteers. I don't even know where to start. With this one, so yeah, I guess we'll start off with that we're playing them in mid-November, which is just a little strange. It's weird, right? It'll be a little chilly, which might be a nice. Oh, it's going to. I know you, you think know, it's going to be hot, change. but you told me the other day you thought well, it could still be hot. Well, it could be sweltering, or it could. Be no, cold. it's going to be cold. It's the mountains. I don't. Hey, you never know. Global warming. Sure. Also, does anyone even know who's on the team anymore? It's a great question. Okay, so here we go. They've had 26 players transfer out since the last game in 2020. Okay. I've never heard of anything. That's like insane. That. I mean, yes, we have the transfer players. portal. They could transfer without being penalized, whatever. But it's not just the backups who weren't playing that transfer. 26 players. Yes. So here's the list they lost their top two quarterbacks, their top two running backs, their best offensive linemen, both starting inside linebackers, their best pass rusher. Their multi-year starting kicker, and then their true freshman quarterback, who is supposed to be their savior and lead them into the future of the program. Yep, he's gone already. I don't even know how you scout a team like this, but I know you're gonna try. I will so, try. So let's talk about the quarterback position first. Warrantano is gone. J.T. Shrout is gone. So who's left, and who do you project to win the job? 
this is a total like I have no idea thing. Like I just don't know who's gonna win because you just don't. There's not. I mean, obviously at a camp you don't get all that much information. So Harrison Bailey was this guy who's former. It actually was Eric Gilbert's quarterback at Marietta High School. We didn't recruit him. He ends up going to Tennessee, and he played some last year. Started a couple games for them. Had, I mean, up and down play. That's what I would say. He had some success, but he was also very bad at times. But then they got Virginia Tech transfer Hendon Hooker, who was the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech. But he transferred in before they announced the coaching change, before Hypo came over. And then after spring practice, Joe Milton announced that he's transferring from Michigan. He started the season last year as Michigan's quarterback and lost the job halfway through the year to Kay McNamara. And he is now transferring. He's now at Tennessee. He's there. But they brought him in after spring practice. So and you had Brian Maurer. Maurer is not going to win the job. I never thought he would win the job. And over the weekend, they're talking about he wants to transfer, and they're trying to convince him to stay and see what happens. But it's going to be one of those three, Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker, or Harrison Bailey. I'm interested in Joe Milton here. I, I didn't love what I saw from Joe Milton last year, but again, you had a COVID year, and Michigan's offense has had issues for a while now. I'm intrigued by the fact they brought him in after the spring, though. So what I'm looking at here is they went through spring practice, with Hendon Hooker, Harrison Bailey, Brian Maurer. And then you go and bring in another quarterback in after spring, a former starter at Michigan. Now, maybe that's just them, you know, covering their bases and bringing in as many guys as they can to try to just find the best guy and having competition. Maybe it's that. Or maybe, maybe they went through spring drills like, you know what? None of these guys are the guy. Like, we don't like what we see here. Let's bring in somebody else and see what we got. Maybe that's also what happened here. I don't know, but it's certainly a possibility there. But if you think about, if you're trying to handicap who's going to win this job, again, I don't really know. I don't have any inside information here. Obviously, I don't know anyone who goes to Tennessee. I don't know any of that. But if you look at what Josh Heifel's offense has been in years past, when he was with Drew Locke at Missouri at UCF, his offense, first off, they want to push the ball down the field. They want to push the ball vertically down the field. And it's about accuracy and decision-making in doing that. So I'm thinking about, okay, who's going to win this job? you need to find somebody that's going to be accurate with the ball down the field. And if you look at their numbers from last year, Joe Milton was sub 60% completion percentage. Hendon Hooker was around 60-ish, a little bit above 60. Harrison Bailey at 70%. Now, that's a very small sample size for all those guys, honestly. But if I had to handicap it now, I would say maybe Harrison Bailey fits what Josh Heupel has done in the past offensively more than the other guys. I've watched a fair amount of Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. He's a really good athlete, really good runner, average passer at best. Joe Milton, I'd say almost the exact same thing about him. I think Harrison Bailey's more of a true drop back passer, which is traditionally what Josh Heupel has had success with at Missouri and at UCF. So if I had to handicap it now, if I had to pick somebody I guess I would go Harrison Bailey, but I'm not confident on that. I, I don't really know. We'll find out more in the next couple of weeks, but I guess I'd maybe say Harrison Bailey. All right, Harrison Bailey it is for now. For now. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. All right. So we know Josh Heupel has a track record of leading some very high powered offenses, both at Mizzou and UCF. So how much do you expect that experience to translate to Tennessee in his first year? Man, you, you said it earlier, Charlie, 26 players transferred out. Your two best running backs, two best offensive linemen, top two quarterbacks. I mean, it's hard to expect them to be like super dynamic right off the bat, even though you're right. Josh Heupel has had a lot of success offensively, putting up big numbers, big scoring totals anywhere he's been, everywhere that he has been. And if you look at who they do have back, so you ask a question like who they even have on this roster, let's talk about a couple guys that we know that are coming back. They have a couple, I, I would say they're solid wide receivers with the potential to be, to grow into good wide receivers. Jalen Hyatt, who was a freshman last year, didn't get to play a ton. He's kind of in the rotation as the season went on. He's an intriguing talent. He stuck around. He's a really good athlete, a very speedy wide receiver, kind of a long guy. Um, he's like, you know, they say he's clocked around the four, three range. Now how true that is, I don't know, but you watch him play. He's got some speed. I think he is a really good fit in the hypo offense that's built on vertical shots down the field. I think he could be a good receiver for them. I think he'll hit some big explosive plays for them. Velish Jones was a transfer. I got transferred in from USC last year, was there last year. It's a good return man. Um, improved as a receiver. He still got he was still kind of raw at times there, but I thought he got better as the year went on. I think he could be a good compliment to Jalen Hyatt, more as like a possession type guy. So they got two decent pieces there right now and potentially could be good pieces with Jalen Hyatt can kind of grow as a sophomore to take a big step in year two. But I, again, I just don't know what to expect at quarterback. And that is clearly the most important position on the field. You just don't know what to expect there. And it's hard to have high expectations for a team when you don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. You just it's It's tough. And then can we finally put the Tennessee offensive line hype to bed? I told y'all coming to the season last year, it was straight up hype and it was not based in reality whatsoever. It's all based on recruiting rankings and perception and it's based off people who had who were telling you things and never actually watched Tennessee play or if they watched them play, had no idea what they were watching on the offensive line. And it turned out to be correct. I'm not always right. I was right on that. So I think that's over. Like this, this Tennessee offensive line hype, it was, it, was, it was a disaster last year up front for them, and now they're losing their top two players. Cade Mays is still around, and so is his brother Cooper, and he's like Cade's finally where he belongs at guard. He was a disaster at tackle, but even at guard, like he was solid at best last year. Solid at best. Maybe he can stay on his feet more than every other play. He can be a little better, but but I don't think he's an elite player. But look, I, I do think Tennessee's going to score some points this year if they can just find competent play at quarterback because that's what Hypo's offense has done everywhere. I think they have some decent options at receiver. I don't know if they're going to run the ball all that well. That's never really been a feature part of what Josh Hypo's done. It comes down to the quarterback position, but I think there's a good chance they'll put up some numbers offensively. I just don't know if it'll end up being enough. Okay. Well, let's flip to the other side of the ball. So, Did I set we... you up there? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you are. All right, what are we looking I'm at with the volunteer defense? Oh, okay. Uh, defensively, well, they had a complete defensive collapse last year. I mean, look at these numbers, guys. So they were 70th in the country, gave over 30 points a game last year. They were 114th nationally in third down conversions allowed. They allowed almost 50% of third down situations to be converted. That's insane. It's a terrible third down defense. 
Uh, they were 106 nationally in passing defense, giving about 270 yards a game, 112 nationally in yards per pass attempt allowed, 125th nationally in completion percentage, and uh, 91st nationally in explosive passing play percentage. So that's not good, right? Complete collapse defensively last year. And that happened under a defensive-minded head coach with Jeremy Pruitt that he actually had some talent to work with last year. He actually had guys like Henry Toto. He had some guys. So if they were that bad last year with a defensive-minded coach that had a better defensive roster of players to work with, it's hard to imagine they're not going to be a complete and utter disaster on defense this year. That's why That's why you can't buy this Tennessee team. I mean, they might score some points offensively, but they're going to give up so many points on defense. Like, I'm not saying they're going to be Ole Miss level bad, like the Ole Miss defense from last year, but they might not be far off. They're going to be very, very bad. So I think that's what's going to keep this Tennessee team from getting to a bowl and finding any sort of momentum in year one under Josh Heupel. All right. Well, finally, I guess technically they're a Power 5 team, so we have to talk about them. Do we have to? I mean... Like, I feel like they don't even deserve our, deserve our attention. Right, but the listeners but want yeah, to yeah, so you know, we will. We gotta do so it. So we're talking about the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, and they're still trying to turn things around under Jeff Collins. Gee off, get it right. Okay, right, whatever. <laughs> so he obviously has to, had to lead a transition from Paul Johnson's triple off option offense, which was always going to be difficult... But for all his bluster, he has very little to show for it. Collins is 6-16 and 16 in two seasons, and at some point he can't keep using Paul Johnson's offense as an excuse. Oh, he'll use it until, he, until they run him out of town. Okay. So, how much better do you expect the Nerds to be this season compared to the past two years? You know, this truly does hurt me. Like, this is painful for me. Okay. To even say this. All right. This is extraordinarily They're going to be better? I have, I'm, let me try to get the words out of my mouth. Whew, okay. It's tough. Um, I think that Georgia Tech, lowercase t, can push for a bowl game this year. Oh, my God. Okay. Deep breath. All right. That was tough. That was tough. All right. But in, in all seriousness here... I don't think they're going to get there with the schedule they have, but I think they have a good enough roster to where that's not unreasonable to say they can make a push for a potential bowl game. They got to play Georgia. They got to play Clemson. They got to play Notre Dame. Those are three almost certain losses there. They got to play North Carolina. That's a fourth certain loss. They got to play Miami. That's a fifth certain loss. So that's five losses right there. So they got basically one more game to work with there to try to make a bowl game. I don't think they, I just don't think they have a shot to upset any of those teams I mentioned. Like I, I just don't. Maybe Notre Dame. I no, but I just don't. I don't see that. So it's a it's a very very small margin for error here. But I think they've got a shot to like like try to shoot for that. But that that's as high as going. I think probably four or five wins, which would be a little bit of an improvement. But yeah, I, I think they will be improved this year. And that mainly comes down to the fact I think they will be improved on offense. But that's still very relative, okay? Let's be very careful when I say that. Because like you mentioned, Charlie, coming off the Paul Johnson years, they're running a triple option offense at a very specific type of personnel they're looking for. 
it's been a work in progress trying to recruit to a more modern spread type offense. Now they got Jeff Sims coming in last year as their quarterback. He's the guy that they think is going to be their dude, their savior. They're sold on him. Jameer Gibbs is a really good running back. I think Jameer Gibbs is actually really good. They have some decent players at receiver. So they're getting more and more of the personnel. They're still Offensive line is still an issue for them. That's still a problem because Paul Johnson's offensive line are very different than the kind of offensive line you need to actually run a real offense. But I think they have some pieces on offense where they will be improved there. But again, that's relative. Let's look at these numbers from last year, okay? So they were 95th nationally in scoring offense, averaging 24 points a game, 71st nationally in total offense, 390 yards a game. Um, They were, let's see, 86 in sacks allowed per passing attempt. They were 93rd nationally in passing offense, a little under 200 yards a game. So they weren't good last year on offense. They weren't. They were better than they were the year before, but again, we're talking about coming from the Paul Johnson era. So when I say they're going to be improved, that doesn't mean they're going to be great. It doesn't mean they're even going to be good. It just means they're going to be better than what they were last year, which was really, really, really bad, okay? And they do have a lot of returning production offense. They have 84% of their production returning from last year's offense, which is top 20 nationally. So I do expect them to be improved offensively. I do expect Jeff Sims at quarterback, who was very up and down, is extraordinarily raw as a passer. I expect him to be better this year, a better passer. Not great, not dynamic, but better. He is an intriguing athlete. He made a lot of plays with his legs last year, puts a lot of stress on defenses. Even if he's not a great passer and doesn't really understand the read coverages at this point in his career, just by virtue of what he can do with his legs, that puts stress on defenses, dictates on the coverage they can run against them, and that will make it easier for him to find open receivers. Uh, And then on defense, I mean, they weren't like, terrible on defense last year. They weren't good, but they weren't terrible. They were better defensively than they were offensively. And if you look at this Tech defense coming back, they got nine starters coming back uh, on a defense that is 22nd nationally in returning defense of production. They should have a lot of returning production on offense and defense. One of the top teams in the country in terms of their overall team returning production. They return, I mean, not even basically, they do return their entire secondary, both safeties, both cornerbacks. They add in Kenyatta Watson, who went to Texas. You guys might remember him from a couple years back uh, as, a, as a recruit coming out of the state of Georgia and his dad and that whole deal, whatever. But he's now, he couldn't get on the field at, at Texas enough. So now he's transferred to Tech. He'll probably be in the rotation there as a nickel DB. Maybe he'll factor in the cornerback battle. We'll see how that works out. Antonius Clayton is a name to remember. He's a transfer from Florida. And uh, he was a former five-star guy. So I think he can be a good pass rusher for them, give them something they haven't really had off the edge. Now, I still do think they have issues along both lines of scrimmage, offensively and defensively, and that's a big problem when you're playing big boy football in the Power Five, and that is where their weakness still lies. So they have good skill talent offense. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a really, really good running back, guys. I mean, he, and, and, and they also have Jordan Mason coming back along with them, so it's a pretty nice one-two punch to have a running back. Mason is more of like your, your interior runner, a power back kind of guy, not great home run speed, whereas Jameer Gibbs is kind of like your all around back. I think he could be like a three down back. He's really good at the backfield and receiving game. They worked a lot of a lot of screen game with him last year. But he's a guy that can that can also make plays happen on the ground. Like you give him the football and he's going to make things happen. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's got really good speed, really good short area quickness, very twitchy. And it will run with a little bit of deceptive power as well. He's just a really, really good athlete. And oh yeah, Kevin Harris on defense too is a guy that transferred in. I think uh, went to Grayson a couple years back. And he went to Alabama, but now he's transferred in as a defensive player on the on that defensive front for Tech. So, I mean, they're getting better players in this program, but it's just still not enough to compete 
with the top teams on their schedule. It's just not. It's just not. So I, I think like they can try to push for a bowl, maybe four or five wins, probably be the top for them this year. Thank you. The ceiling is what I should have said. That's right. why I'm looking for the top, the ceiling. I'm not giving them any more airtime. Yeah, can we just stop talking about tech? Absolutely. I, I just don't want to talk about tech anymore. All right, that's it, right? That's it for today. That's it. Well, that's that's it for our Sky and the Enemy series, guys. So, again, I apologize for not being able to go as as in-depth with each of these teams as we normally do on these Sky and the Enemy episodes, but we're just crunched for time. we got some of the things that we want to get in, and we wanted to at least touch on each of these teams. So, hopefully you got a little something out of this. If there's anything else you want to know, just hit us up on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. On Instagram, it's at Glory UGA Podcast. Just let us know, and we'll be happy to, to give you a little bit more of a take on these teams as well. But thanks for listening, guys. Really do appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>